recording. Well, Joe Hayden, Grid Beyond. Okay, perfect. Um, th these are actually probably better intros than I did in the past. <laughs> we just don't tell you we're recording. We just roll right, right into we're it. Right, we're just talking. <laughs> okay, perfect. Well, um, yeah, tell us about Grid Beyond. And we always usually start with kind of telling us your background, how you got into this, kind of all, the history. And uh, But yeah, tell us Grid Beyond. What, what is that? Yeah, so Grid Beyond's a Dublin, Ireland-based company. Mm -hmm. Um, been around for about 14 years or so. Um, started with uh, a lot of interesting premises around the challenges we're seeing with the grid right now. Um, and the first one, if you look at a grid characteristic from the electricity side, is island power. Mm. It's a very, it, it's like threading the needle. What is island power? You're on an island. You, you cannot count on anybody else for your power. Mm. You got to build it to a reliability factor that allows your commercial industrial community to compete on a world stage. If you overbuild it, it's too expensive mm -hmm. for that community to compete on the world stage. If you underbuild it and it's unreliable, that's also bad. Mm -hmm. So the characteristics of renewable power are very um, tight between the generator community and the user community. Mm -hmm. And just as an example, the highest priced power in North America is Hawaii uh, for that same reason. ERCOT's different. I mean, ERCOT is surrounded by our ego. I'm a native Texan. I can mm -hmm. say that, not yeah. surrounded by water. But we operate it that way. We want mm -hmm. a firewall against bad decisions being made by other grid operators around the country. Um, and so Ireland's and uh, so Grid Beyond's got a lot of experience around very tight integration between the user community and the generator community, and then an overextension of rapid deployment towards renewables mm -hmm. uh, with maybe not thinking through thoroughly the impacts of disruption mm, and yeah. the fact that uh, sun and wind can get in interrupted. Uh, they just had December before last, uh, the wind just died out and prices skyrocketed. Um, but Grid Beyond has been operating in that environment for a long time. Mm -hmm. And we were seeing these same characteristics developing in North America, came over about four years ago, right before COVID. Uh, had to wait about 18 months to see that come through. That was a great time to keep customers, a terrible yeah. time to go find new ones. <laughs> um, and so two years ago, that's when I joined Grid Beyond as part of their North American expansion. I was with Sea Power for five years, okay. uh, running right. ERCOT for them. Mm -hmm. uh, now I run North America. But ever since then, um, Grid Beyond has expanded into Canada, Japan, Australia, uh, and now we're in every major uh, ISO in, in North America, or will be shortly. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, you were there two years ago, or you came over here two years ago? Where were you at before that? Like, what's your background? Um, so I've always been in the utility sector. Yeah. Um, sold the uh, broad-based, broad network voice and data wireless networks mm -hmm. for Motorola and for Ericsson to the mm -hmm. utility sector. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Dudville and some other things, the startups and whatnot, uh, kind of like a ring on uh, on steroids device that was uh, kind of a virtual security guard, virtual police officer. You stick a light, a camera, a speaker, and a light pole, <laughs> and now you got full abilities to interface with yeah. things going on. Flash the lights, use the lighting in a broad parking lot, for example, as a force multiplier to flash, strobe, light up, or brighten up, dim down 
So the good people knew everything was under control and the bad people knew there was a lot of eyes on, on site. Mm. And that was very, very disruptive. Uh, I mean, going to market, the technology form factor, how you priced it. I did seven years of that before uh, making a change and then getting into demand response. I oh. see those things everywhere now. Yeah, Dude. yeah, they're all mm -hmm. over. Yeah. Uh, we put it into a light fixture. And so the form factor was uh, was was very <clears throat> camouflage, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. But a camera inside, 360 degree view, be able to act to certain things, keep people out, make sure people that you want to know are there, let them know you're you're there for, you know, for vendors, partners, sell sites, those kind of things. Uh, but it was a fun startup. I was, yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, so I don't know. You, this may not have anything to do with it. Probably doesn't. But uh, the whole outage today. Did you see that? AT and T. Yeah. What, yeah. What's going well, on? Was, what was, was the deal a solar there? flare? So I heard that, but it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Well, this is the time for the tinfoil hat, probably. Okay. <laughs> yes. um, so Sarah and my son are both AT and T. I am too. Um, and they got iPhones. I had to go Samsung, unfortunately. Sorry, Samsung. Last year, I'm sure they don't listen, but uh, <laughs> last year <laughs> I did, and my phone worked the whole time. Theirs did not. So how could it be a solar flare? Mm. It only hits iPhones. Right. It doesn't make any sense. No, I think it was network-based. Yeah, it had to be. Mm -hmm. it had, and it had to target. Like I would love to know if there was anybody but iPhone users. Like We're dealing with that. I, I didn't thought it was an outage. But it said that it affected AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile. I have but, Verizon. I have an iPhone. It, I didn't see an outage. So once. I have AT&T, but I have a Samsung. My kid and Sarah both have AT&T, but iPhones. Theirs didn't work. Huh. Yeah. So what's the conspiracy theory? Is it China? I'm wondering if like Iran came after our mm. like targeted iPhone users on AT&T or something. A cyber attack or some sort. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, hat, I mean, it's possible. Ah, it's possible. Right? It's definitely possible. I wouldn't rule out a solar flare, though. But how would it? Why things would it like hit things iPhones? like yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is kind of weird. But solar flares are a real thing, though. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there, I saw something like 1972. That was there was something that happened. I mean, I'm so solar young, flare can essentially act as like an, <laughs> like an EMP where it like blasts all electronics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, There's a few movies based on that, isn't are there? Like, there I'm like, sure there is. Like, I've a got a, like a solar flare hits and we go back to the Stone Age. Yeah. yeah. That's why I got the Defender, man. It's actually like roll around. It won't get impacted by EMP. <laughs> the Defender right now is not living through yeah, good I know, times. Man. I don't know if it's going to live through I bad gotta, times. This, this clutch, man. This is not, this a, war, this is not a wartime me, vehicle right now. No. It's not defending anything. <laughs> I, I got a 94 Land Rover Defender. I'm freaking, it's beautiful. Uh-huh. Um, but it is a huge. It's a 1994. Ass. It's a 94 <laughs> Defender. So, yeah, I got it. It's in the shop now for clutch issue. But would have never thought you would have said that it's in the shop. Yeah, it was a shocker. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> this time, this will be the last thing I got to fix. <laughs> there you go. After uh, this, yeah. it's gonna be good. Right. After this is the last thing. We're all good. So I hope. But uh, so grid beyond what? What kind of involvement had you guys? Have you guys had? I mean, say uh, your time there has been kind of the prime for for Bitcoin mining in Texas, or I guess just after the prime. But yeah. um, have you seen that Bitcoin uh, mining grow within Grid Beyond or the, your guys' impact? Um, you know, I think it's it's been uh, an intersection of mm -hmm. a lot of things. What Bitcoin mining looks for, and what Grid Beyond's been doing. So, mm -hmm. I, what I didn't elaborate on was we've been in demand response, uh, which is that. 
premise and the analogy I use is the grid is like a room in a, in a, in a ship. Mm-hmm. And the ceiling is rock solid generation five, 10 years ago. It was coal, it was oil, it was gas. It was, it was very reliable. It didn't adjust based on weather patterns. So it never moved. Right. But water rising up and down in that room, right? That's mm-hmm. demand. That's demand for power every single day. And during extreme weather conditions, that water can rise real high. And then it drops off in the evenings. And then you got huge amount of headroom. Mm-hmm. So demand response is, is a global you know, uh, program. And ERCOT does it. And five years ago, they only had essentially two programs mm-hmm. uh, that they were available. And the, the premise is for somebody using power to, in the bigger picture, be available if needed somewhere someday in the future. Mm-hmm. ERCOT needs to call and says, you know what? That water's rising so high in the room that we need headroom. Mm-hmm. And so we need you to pause your business for a little while. And if you'll do that for us, you know, we don't know how long it may ask, last. Uh, we want to test once a year just to make sure that you do what you say you can. And you'll, you'll do that. We'll pay you money day in and day out, month after month mm-hmm. for that scenario that may occur somewhere in the future to help us not overbuild the grid. Yeah. So what do you guys do with that then? Are you guys basically handling people's demand response and are you curtailing or are you like, what do you, what is grid beyond's role? In yeah. That? Yeah. So, so first and foremost, it was to monitor the grid conditions mm-hmm. and keep in touch with what is called the RTO or the ISO, mm-hmm. which is what ERCOT is here. And making sure that we know when they are looking at conditions that are setting up for that potential scenario. Mm-hmm. And then we'll communicate those indications to our customers and let them know when they need to take action. Um, our CEO, for example, in Grid Beyond's broader history, it comes from a controls background. And so control elements to this come into play, especially as you see the grid's conditions around when the, the, the ceiling's starting to fall because we've got more wind and solar now, that can fall out, that can disrupt, well, that can bring down that supply level. The water rising at the same time creates a squeeze play. Mm-hmm. And so what are the incentives that the grid operators are willing to give for somebody using power to be available in shorter and shorter cycles? Mm-hmm. And so a couple of years ago, for example, one program ERCOT had would kick in when the water level, well, let me step back. ERCOT's got a number of levers that they look at. The first lever is anybody who's exposed to the real-time price for electricity. Mm-hmm. If your price is spiking up from, say, $4 to $40 to $400 to $4,000, somewhere along that way, there's so much pain that says, I'm going to shut off. Right. Bitcoin miners can do that very quickly and easily. A lot of other flexible load-based industries do that. ERCOT is an equal opportunity megawatt harvester. So mm-hmm. we help them by getting people enrolled into these programs as part of that harvesting program. And then we take a, a split or a, mm-hmm. a fee for that. Um, but the first one is real-time price for power. If anybody's allergic to that, they come offline. If that does the trick, ERCOT takes no further action. 4CP may be a right. program you're inser- you've, you've heard of, mm-hmm. co- Coincidental Peaks. Mm-hmm. Um, that does the trick. People chasing that that kind mm-hmm. of revenue stream that's around fifty to 60000 a megawatt a year, that, mm-hmm. that, that does the trick. They take no further action. The water keeps rising or the ceiling's starting to fall more. Um, there's a program called ERS that's worth about $60,000 a megawatt a year. Man. That kicks in at around, so now the water's rising. And so if the water's rising, and I keep using that analogy, but 
if if the if demand was within 3250 megawatts of whatever that ceiling is give or take ERCOT mm -hmm. has a lot of they can do a lot of things on their own as far as making determinations but a general right. rule of thumb 3250 megawatts to wherever that capacity limit is that'll kick in one response or called an EEA3 that's the ERS program if it's still rising, demand's still rising, it goes to 3,000 megawatts. That's another program called non-spin. Right. It goes to 1,750, another program called RRS. Mm -hmm. There's another program now called ECRS. So as these progressions of demand get close to that supply line, that's when ERCOT's calling and dispatching. And we, we okay. handle that management of progression communications, uh, warnings, and then and, and we'll either, either send out as a manual process on that or we can do it completely integrated and automated uh, so that there's no human interaction whatsoever. Is demand response the only one that's paid kind of like, hey, you sign up for demand response, you're going to get paid X based on your megawatts. Is it the only one that is like, you get it even if they don't call you? Oh, yeah. It yeah, is. it's not It's not to do something. Right. It's to be ready right. and it's, available to do right. something. What Now, if you don't participate, like, like if you are, if you're participating, you say you'll turn down and you don't, what's the ramifications for that? So there could be penalties. Yeah. There could be, you can get kicked out of the program if you're mm -hmm. chronic. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it, that's why it's so important to understand the big picture in the right. room, because when they do call, you just know you're one of the mm -hmm. last bastions of resources right. to keep the pain and agony of everyone else from going mm -hmm. through brownouts and blackouts because they couldn't get enough headroom on those programs to prevent those outages. Do you, do you enroll in every single one of these programs or is it just kind of, you're maybe in one and then some people are in the other ones or? Yeah, so so as time has gone on and as we see more and more of that um, uh, tight tighter integration mm -hmm. between the generator community and the user community, and in a state like Texas where we've got a lot of growth going on, so, so, so generation capacity is trying to keep up with the growth you know, outlooks, mm -hmm. the programs are getting more sophisticated. The timing of response is getting shorter. The incentives tied to a faster response is getting greater. And so as you, as you see those things tightening up with incentives adding to the process, it gives, all these are designed to give more headroom to ERCOT. So um, faster, quicker, uh, standby with a full integration capability on controls. That's where the future is going. That's what we saw in, in the UK and Ireland mm -hmm. all these years before we came over here. And so that's when what's you, unique about it. When you say controls, like controls from the utility level, like, like are they going to be involved on the actual curtailment of things? They can or, be involved in the curtailment tied mm -hmm. in via an API mm -hmm. into the mining software yeah. of, the, of the miners. Does that give the utility a lot, of, a lot more um, confidence, I guess, in bringing kind of these large scale because like you mentioned too like there is some fear sometimes of bringing miners on or doing de large scale deals with them because you see them fold up disappear not pay their bills R rumors of all the different horror stories that have happened yeah if they if a utility has more controls are they going to be more inclined to kind of proceed forward with some of these large-scale mining projects so or? we're so we don't represent the utilities yeah and we're not representing right. what ERCOT per se I'm gonna tell everybody that you said that this, <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> the, um, no so and you know there's movements going on to have uh you know the the grid control mm -hmm. those resources right. to a greater degree which 
does not sit well with a lot of Bitcoin miners. It doesn't sit well with me, yeah. honestly. But yeah. I understand where a utility would be like, look, just to basically ensure that this is not going to be a a strenuous thing on the grid in the event that we need it, we can ensure that maybe that's a way they cut deals with some groups sure. from a collateral standpoint. Because yeah. collateral is the biggest issue for miners usually. On the rep side and right. on the on the contract of power side, yeah, yeah well, that's the, true. Those positions yeah, are all right. on that, right? This mm. what we do is not based on collateral. Yeah. it's really based on can a we service. count on you? It's a service. Okay. Yeah, can we count on you? We'll test once a year mm -hmm. if absent an event to see if you can do what you say you can, mm -hmm. and if you 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 test out on that, which is a very small, like maybe a thirty minute test, depending mm -hmm. on what the situation is in the program. Right, you're good to go for another year or two or three. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and they'll pay you until they call you and say, we got that situation yeah. growing and we may, we need your help. Okay. But they do have a hierarchy. I didn't know that from like the domain response is the first call. And then uh, actually, it goes on. Well, again, an informal call is anybody exposed to the real-time price of power. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. You, then you, you just do it based on market conditions, that, whatever that, makes sense. For it, you, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, it's like showing up at the gas station. And yeah, yeah. being used to paying three dollars a gallon, yeah. and now it's thirty dollars. And you're like, oh, shit, you're not going to fill up, right? <laughs> you're right. going to wait. So, yeah. so if you're exposed to that, you're coming offline, right. and you're going to let that pass right. and wait it out, and which then, doesn't cost any money. It's like, okay, you're just letting the market take care of itself. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But when they start calling, yeah, it'll go. Is it go demand response first, and then the next level, next level? Yeah. ERCOT has these pro. Uh, I guess their dispatch mm -hmm. uh, terminologies: EA one, EA two, and EA three. Mm -hmm. And DEF, it's like DEFCON five, four, three, yeah, two, okay. and one, but it's yeah. only three. But they have multiple programs in what's called the ancillary services programs that are tied mm -hmm. to that. Yeah. And a seasonal program called ERS. Yeah. And to get back to your question, so. We can look at those programs and when we say enroll a client into into these demand response programs or with ERCOT or anywhere that we're operating in, which is all the major RTOs, we'll we'll put them all in at the same kind of not the same time. We'll put them all in as a, say kind of a check mark. And then we'll look at where are the monetary best values greatest gains for the for the customer, for the end user, and putting them in those programs. And we can figure out how what best combination of those programs can work in getting even a greater monetary value mm. for the for the for the load. Is there mm. a difference? And I'm sorry, Jake, I'm hogging questions here, dude. But um, I'm curious because I'm working on something too that this is all applied to. So um, I see those hamster wheel turnovers. <laughs> so from you know we got the different load zones and all that throughout our cut. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing? Is there a benefit in being? Obviously, I know West is where everybody went early on. Yep. I'm seeing and hearing more shift now just to South, and it might be just due to opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. um, but is there an issue with, there's multiple layers here, I guess, ancillaries getting kind of diluted or oversold, or is there a limit of some sort, um, depending on what kind of zone you go to, and is there a, Kind of, is there a benefit in being in one versus another right now based on the market? Yeah, there's some congestion issues yeah. that certainly West is dealing with that no other nodes mm -hmm. uh, or zones are dealing with in ERCOT. And does that make it more beneficial for miners then over one of the other ones? To being out of that area? Right. It would. Right. Yeah, okay. you have higher price spikes and higher volatility. In the other ones? Uh, no, in the in West. In West. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's, Some of them like the volatility, uh -huh. though, right? That allows you opportunities to sell back if yeah. you had a block. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it would, yeah. But yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So where, from your experience right now, like, are you seeing more activity in one zone versus another, like new customers coming in to one of the other zones? I mean, mainly, I'd say mainly in the West uh, and South, because mm-hmm. uh, I think the congestion issues will eventually, you know, get, get addressed. Mm-hmm. It's going to take some time. Mm-hmm. But I mean, for a shorter term, probably West, I mean, South is probably getting more activity around it than, yeah. than the West is. Is that going to result in any... I mean, like like the West is basically that's where everybody went early on. Did you start seeing the demand response, I guess, payments or value get diminished because you had a lot more miners coming out to that area? No. Um, so so demand response does not typically uh, get uh, influenced by what zone you're in. Oh, it doesn't. Okay. So, so ERCOT is an equal opportunity harvester, as I mm-hmm. mentioned. And so what that means is that they're not picking winners and losers. They're essentially diluting what value they will pay across the whole thing. Across the whole thing. Okay. It's called proration. Mm. So, you know, if we got three dollars on the table, we're each going to get a dollar. If we have six people in the room, then everyone's going to get 50 cents. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's happening in the value of the megawatt of these programs is that they start to dilute or get oversubscribed. Okay. And so the values come down. And so, you know, for example, RS at some point in time in history has been worth 150 plus thousand dollars a megawatt mm-hmm. currently it's probably sitting at just over a hundred man maybe even a little less depending wow. on what seasons we're in what time frame was that where it got reduced from 150 to around 100 um in the last three or four years oh, okay yeah like mm-hmm. covid for example mm-hmm. when covid hit it took a lot of load offline mm-hmm. so the values of the of what was worth the megawatt came down quite a mm-hmm. bit uh but then it came back up yeah. But there was only one ancillary service program, essentially. And now there's three. Okay. And so ECRS currently is is one of the, the greatest value, mm-hmm. maybe close to a little under $300,000 a megawatt yeah. a year. Um, and so these programs are, with a different set of dynamics on each, uh, can fit into whatever the comfort level and appetite is of the, of the miner mm-hmm. to decide what's your best place to go. Today, it could be ECRS. Tomorrow, it might be RRS. The next day, it could be non-spin. Uh, when we enroll clients, we put them in all a check mark on all of them, mm-hmm. and then we work with them, saying where your best opportunity for being having that load available is yeah. is best for you okay. longer term. If I understand this correctly, here's an analogy that I'm going to use, and correct me if I'm wrong. But you guys act so. I pay I pay this group called Energy Ogre to manage my personal utility bill, and so they take care of everything for me, and they're constantly looking at different electricity rates yeah. and different providers to give me the best possible deal. And I'd pay them a flat $10 a uh, $10 month subscription. Mm-hmm. I don't worry about shit. Mm-hmm. My energy provider has changed like five times in the last year. Really? Yeah. And my bills have been really, really low. Payments are automatically taken care of. So it seems like you guys are doing that on a much larger scale with demand response and the miners. It's but you guys are taking a cut instead of like $10, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're managing that relationship. Yeah, the um, I think what what your ogre's doing is um, he's looking at twenty different suppliers of electricity. Yeah, and he's seeing what new programs they're coming into. I mean, it'd almost be like I think paying somebody to watch credit card deals. Uh, yeah, and yeah. juggling you in and out of credit card deals because this sign up fee with this kind of you know points yeah. to do so and this APR. So that's what they're doing. Um, 
we're not doing it from a standpoint of multiple vendors. It's all through ERCOT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. all through their programs. But I'm saying in the in the aspect of you're managing that relationship and making it easier because you guys are in the know with everything that's changing with these various programs, pulling you in one program, pulling you out of program, essentially optimizing yes. that relationship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, today one program could be worth more money and, yeah. and tomorrow conditions change and another program could be better. Um, they may change a commodity Con contract uh, scenario because they feel like they could do better there. Maybe that makes more sense to put them into a, a lower paying program, but it gives them more leeway as to when they would have to dispatch um, with a little more latitude of how often they're available. So 5% of the time they may want to be out of the market. That's a good 5% that's good for say, missing out on the top 5% of the prices that occur when spikes occur mm -hmm. or uh, it's a better position on blocking index to have a, a commodity contract in place and not be overly overly committed to ERCOT's requirements for a certain program. Mm -hmm. So we just look and blend all those different aspects together to say what's what's our best position here for the next mm -hmm. you know two three four months. Are you guys like working with the miners on trying to acquire the power, or is it one where they get their power contract and then they call you guys about trying to maximize their demand response or ancillary revenues? Yeah, they work that separately. We don't okay. do anything on, this, on the supply side. So you're not a broker or anything like not that? Not a broker, right. but we work with a lot of, yeah. of commodity players. I mean, yeah. we've worked with Pump Jack Power quite a bit mm -hmm. in this space. We Pump like working with those guys. My boys. <laughs> Shout out. Yeah, we'll get Ryan tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So yeah, that crypto power, I guess, mm -hmm. those guys are, yeah. yeah. I, I still, I got to tell him, we need to, I'm going to talk to him. I, I'm a Bitcoin guy. I don't like the word crypto in there. That's just. Bitcoin like power. It. Yeah. Yeah. B Bitcoin power. But yeah. There you go. Sorry. That's all right. We bleep the word crypto every time yeah. it comes on. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. He'll have a beep on there, but yeah, <laughs> it's good. We love you, Ryan. It's so good. It's so good. But uh, yeah. So, okay. Well, I've got uh, obviously some clients that I work with that, um, I do get a lot of questions. That's why I was asking about uh, things getting oversubscribed um, from in the ancillary market. You mentioned the one dropping from like 150 to 100. If the kind of pace of activity kept up in Texas, is there some real threat of those values getting further diminished? Or are we kind of at a point where you know things will kind of hold steady for from a value perspective on these different programs. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I'll say this: uh, Zone J in Manhattan mm -hmm. uh, for the longest time was probably the greatest, highest valued megawatt, mm -hmm. certainly in the U.S. Um, there's a another kind of similar program in Canada and Ontario mm -hmm. uh, called Global Adjustment that also was worth quite a bit of money, yeah. uh, probably in the three fifty four hundred thousand dollars range. But getting back to New York, mm -hmm. if you're worried about values for megawatts and demand response if that verdict with trump that just went down mm -hmm. holds true as to people wanting to do business in new york or yeah. avoiding it yeah you can see demand requirements going down mm. with huge amount of capacity staying there because it's already been built out right you could expect values to come way down really i there's no business, no yeah, industry. They so don't want to go there. It's open, a harsh environment, right? Open power. Yeah, right. yeah. There's just right. the, the utilization going to be very low. Mm -hmm. In Texas, we've got a great outlook, right? I mean, the future is very bright on growth. Mm -hmm. Future is very bright on demand. So that ceiling, that ceiling has to keep up with it, right? right. And so the water levels are going to continue to rise cyclically, mm -hmm. you know, based on weather, based on other you know conditions. We still have more wind and solar that we're adding to the grid mm -hmm. as well. 
Um, so what's going to fill the gap is highly flexible loads uh, and then batteries. Batteries right. are going to start uh, start coming into play quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's on the edge. That's on the CNI side of things that uh, when when you see grids that are not operating as effectively as mm-hmm. they should, like California, for example, either you're going to move because you're, you can't make your widget, you can't, you can't mine your, your Bitcoin, or you're going to take action to figure out how to fill in those gaps of bad decisions that have been made in the grid. That's where we see batteries in the future filling, filling a lot of that, that uh, those short-term and long-term yeah. you know, fall-offs in, in when, when they occur. What are the other, outside of Bitcoin mining, what are the other forms of flexible loads? Outside of Bitcoin mining? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some of those ancillary service programs we talked about, the oil and gas space, very responsive on a lot of those fronts. Uh, we, we built, uh, we enrolled a lot of oil and gas uh, companies into it. Now, as a side note, getting back to Yuri for a second and, and kind of giving you a broader perspective here on this, and then I'll get into more verticals that you're mm-hmm. talking about. Um, so that scenario that I was talking about in the, the water in the room. So when Yuri hit, the ceiling was dropping. And the ceiling was dropping because the wind turbines through 400 feet in the air got froze, froze up. They couldn't rotate and spin. Solar panels were covered in ice and snow. Natural gas, when it's flowing through the lines, is, has a freeze point of 32 degrees, just mm-hmm. like water. So a lot of gas got backed up. Now, you could argue that we didn't winterize, we didn't do some mm-hmm. things here. Uh, Energy Transfer Partners, they invested a lot in winterization and made an $800 million windfall for that week, essentially, because natural gas that normally yeah, sells at 250 a BTU was selling at $700 a BTU. <laughs> so you could say that, well, look at them, they made all that money, right? Well, they invested, they took the risk. Yeah. That could have been sucking costs they would have never recovered, but we had a generational storm. So. What was happening too was as the ceilings falling and all that generation capacity is coming offline, you know, natural gas wasn't flowing to the generation plants. So we were going from 65,000 megawatts to around 40,000 megawatts. Well, what's everyone doing at home? And it's turning the power on. They're trying to stay warm, right? And so huge amount of pressure going the other way. And so the squeeze play that occurred, FERC has a mandate, even though we're not mandated by FERC, but the infrastructure and the physics are the same has a mandate that says if you're if you're in a condition what's is called a grid imbalance for 9 minutes you have to shut down your your grid you have to completely shut it down we in that we were in that 9 minutes that phase of 9 minutes 6 minutes into it we figured out how to clear it or got figured out how to clear it or the utilities or anybody else like if we had Failed there for that nine minutes. What what's that result in? I, I've talked about it before. So all of Urkai just like shuts shuts down the, the whole state with three minutes to spare. We we figured out how not to shut the entire electricity grid down in the state of Texas during an Arctic blast. That's crazy. So you want to hear about crazy. the cataclysmic aspects mm-hmm. of what that would look like? I mean, oh, man. life and and infrastructure <laughs> and busted pipes. I mean, just go down the list. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a book and uh, it's called Going Home. I, a buddy of mine who also wears a temple hat like to bed, uh, he told me about it and I read it and I read it probably I don't know three months before Yuri happened and I remember hearing about you know we're gonna lose the grid kind of stuff and that was the first thing that popped in my head. It's like the entire society collapses within like two days and every, it was an EMP. And mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it's like, man, that like we were very, very close to basically going back to like 
dark ages from from an electricity standpoint. About two to three months would have been out without power because it's a black swan. It's a black swan event. There's like seven or eight sites Mm -hmm. across the state that have to start. And then as you bring the grid up, it's very slow increments because you've got to maintain the balancing effect. And so- And it's tiny. It's a tiny, tiny Very tight margin. Half a half a hurt or something, right? Half a percent uh, swing either way. You got to stay within this tiny. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, that's the parts people don't understand about. That's why when I hear so many people talking about Bitcoin mining, (laughs) like it really does help. It really does help balance things out. And because of, like you said, the ability to turn up and down, you know, like that. Um, I've said this before on here multiple times, but uh, obviously I haven't said it to you. But um, I was in Dubai. last year and i guess 20 yeah last year um and i talked to a nuclear engineer uh who told me they would mine bitcoin they use it at a nuclear facility um and he said we would mine bitcoin if bitcoin was worth zero because of its ability to kind of curtail your load and bring it down in a safe and reliable and it's the safest way to basically bring down or bring up a nuclear facility and like that alone is like that's a value to the mining space that people just don't get outside of you know utility level folks or grid grid beyond type people and people that work in the energy space i have have a dumb question yeah the turning on and turning off like what is that like does ERCOT call a miner and say hey turn off or is there a notification or is it like their software is it automatic like what is that mechanism yeah they they send out the alerts uh for when these conditions are progressing into what's called the ea1 ea2 so they give you a little bit of a heads up like hey this is kind of coming down the pipe be prepared for it yeah depending on the program you either have signal yeah yeah put the bat bat signal signal. yeah exactly (laughs) big bitcoin Bitcoin (laughs) um yeah depending on the program you may have 10 minutes to drop to your voluntary level so it's not like the whole thing You, you can set your own voluntary levels of what you're willing to give in that flexibility to the grid. So um, there's one that's like, you get 10 minutes. There's another one you have 30 minutes. Um, one of the ancillary, ancillary service programs has a uh, uh, reclosure tied to what's called an under-frequency relay. So if that imbalance occurs in a regional sense on the grid, it automatically trips a shutoff at the site. Um, that was the only option ERCOT offered a couple of years ago and what was called RS. Now they've got two other ancillary service programs that they they allow or available that don't have that instantaneous shutoff. A lot of people don't like having mm-hmm. that condition. So it may bring back the value of that program because it's kind of gives a little bit more safety net. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the last bastion of progression before, you know, they get to blackouts or brownouts. Um, but industry-wise, you know, it's an equal opportunity harvesting mechanism, right? It's about incentives. So are you can you find flexible load can you or do you have non non-critical load um traditionally that's all been at the meter where that kind of perspective occurs now depending on how a company operates whatever industry they're in um, they can voluntarily set some level or percentage of what their overall usage is on a regular basis as being what's available into those programs. Mm. Uh, what Grid Beyond does, and I mentioned our controls background capabilities, is we'll sub-meter at the, you know, behind the meter, we'll identify and isolate where there's areas of non-critical load, where there's areas of flexible load. 
because every increment of harvested availability of flexibility that can be put in these programs is monetary return mm. into those into those operations. Yeah. Um, but the oil and gas space has been very flexible historically on the um, upstream and the midstream as well, depending on the, the, the determination. Downstream, not so much. Um, cold storage facilities, really flexible in that front. Uh, HVAC systems with building automation systems in place, very flexible on that front. Do data centers have the same ability? Because, I mean, they have to guarantee uptime, essentially, to yeah. their consumers. So is yeah. there any, are there any data centers looking into this? How does that work? What are the implications if they are shutting down? Like, Yeah. It's so first, first kind of way we look at uh, that vertical is, are they, um, are they their own data center? Yeah. Or are they a tenant-based uh, you know, data center. If they're their own data center, then they can pretty much address the implications of what it would mean to shut down. They know what their redundancies are. Mm -hmm. They're in full control on, on every level. And so you see a lot of the big, some of the big banks and credit card companies that do that because they own and control their own data centers. For the tenant-based ones, if you've got some tenants that are 10, 29 reliability, down to three, four, nine reliability, depending on your tenant mix, you have a more a more open conversation about the implications of what this additional revenue stream can bring into a site that has backup power and can be available. Uh, they just want to be very, very careful when that UPS kicks in because of a switch over from, say, grid power to the mm -hmm. generators, because that's bringing that power off the grid. Now they're going into island mode with their generators, but that's revenue that's available to them when ERCOT has these scenarios that occur. Um, it, it just depends. Yeah. Depends on their appetite. And batteries are going to be kicking in in that area quite a bit as well. But, I, you know, you guys probably know better than most, anyone who blends in data centers and crypto mining into the same kind of category, it, they're completely different animals. They're very different. Yep. Yeah. Um, over at Atacon Energy Solutions, my new place, um, that's like we build projects, infrastructure out um, for large scale flexible load projects, um, but also like AI type projects as well. Um, but yeah, it's, they're very different businesses of what I've learned already just from, you know, the short period of time I've been over there. Um, the footprints are very different and yeah, the, the flexibility of the load is very different too, it seems like. So yeah, it'll be interesting. There, there are a lot of those groups and it kind of ties to what I want to ask you now is like, um, from your guys' experience, and I don't know how much you can tell, but like you actually probably can, are most of the bigger miners now doing a combination of like, they're allocating a short, certain portion of their uh, fleet or, or megawatts under contract to demand response and retaining a portion of it and not contributing it to demand response? Or are they typically just saying, oh yeah, here's our whole load. And are you seeing, and I don't know this part, I don't know if you can tell, what percentage would you say are they buying a block of power versus like running index? Mm -hmm. Do you do you have any insight on that? Yeah, um, that you can share. Anyway? Yeah, 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 yeah. I I, I think as as the value of uh, Bitcoin goes up, mm -hmm. the there's there's this tendency to um, reevaluate the strategy, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I'll give you a, two really good examples. So a couple of Bitcoin miners that we have. Um, initially when they signed up on their commodity contract, wanted to do what we call real-time price avoidance. 
So mm -hmm. they've established a threshold that if prices get to this point, we want to shut down. Um, that's not ERCOT. That's just exposure just to commercial market decision. Right? It's it. Yeah. It's it. Um, they decided somewhere along the value chain of what Bitcoin got to that they don't want to be open to real time price avoidance at all. Mm -hmm. They don't think, even though sometimes very short spikes of power costs will go up, mm -hmm. the duration of which that could happen is probably so small. I mean, because we're talking less than 5%, right. maybe 2 or 3% from an SLA standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, that What's their SLA? service level agreement. Okay, all right. Uh, de depending if you've, you've got yeah. cons you know customers for your side or mm -hmm. or what you're you're meeting for your investors. Mm -hmm. um, so they shut off that option and just want to be available full time for the ancillary services mm -hmm. and cash in on that roughly three hundred thousand dollars a year in ECRS yeah. uh, revenue per okay. megawatt. Wow, right? per megawatt. So then we that's got another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For some of the big guys too, man. That's a ton. Yeah, yeah. ton of money. Yeah. And, it, and it's liquidity. Right. ERCOT settles every 30 to 45 days. Mm. So you're in through that 300 megawatts or 150 megawatts. ERCOT will clear your, based on your availability, not even dispatching you. Yeah. Just just being, just available, being, being available for this scenario that we're talking about. Yeah. Some some where sometime in the future. Mm -hmm. When they'll clear and send a check for 30, you know, uh 30 45 days later. Can you get that even if you run an index or do you have to have a block? Block or index doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Now That's this is completely I, separate yeah. and this is ERCOT paying yeah. for just because you got you're enrolled this in that program. And you're enrolled in it and you'll and they can, if, they can count on you. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. So that's one example. Then we had another example where in, you see a lot of Bitcoin miners shopping with their suppliers. Mm -hmm. I want an all-in price. Yeah. All right. Well, what, what, what's your willingness to come offline? How, what percentage of the time can you, can you handle? Well, we want to stay up 95% of the time. We can handle a 5% off. Okay, 5% off time. You can do that based on your all-in power. Um, if we can... We might be able to do that. It may take more than five percent off off offline mm -hmm. to get there, but you will manage that, and then we'll give you that price. Mm -hmm. Now the commodity or the the supplier is playing the game of how to get there with not only the pricing mechanisms, but also with demand response being leveraged to its full extent. Mm -hmm. And so that gets a minor an all in as long as they know that there could be times they're going to be cut off cut off for power because mm -hmm. that's when prices are jacking up and. Right. We're we're getting you to that price you want, but yeah. you may have to do some some offloading on a real time price avoidance, right? You know, strategy to get there. Okay. Do you think, um, based on, you know, where we're at today, like assuming we had another Yuri type event, like how much benefit has came from miners being on grid and the participation through demand response and all that? Like from a stability standpoint, is there, like, how do you think? How much more resilient are we now than we were then? Yeah, yeah, you know, you're a that that industry is a contra. It's a contradiction to mm -hmm. everyone else. Yeah. So if you if you you kind of run through Yuri, and if you see if you see demand going a certain way, there's a really good chance in very strong parallel to that mm -hmm. pricing's going that way. Right. For power. Okay. And so. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Miners are completely allergic to higher prices. And in scenarios like that, prices go from $3 to $30, $300 to, and before Yuri or at Yuri, the cap was $9,000 a megawatt hour. 
It's now forty five hundred or five thousand, I think. Yeah. So somewhere along that that value curve, there's gonna. I don't know. Mining is so I think dynamic that let's just say Bitcoin mining doubles or triples or quadruples. Mm -hmm. Most likely, those operations, and I'm on. I don't mean to speak for them, but most likely, if they are to come offline temporarily to help a URI, you know, help the grid from a URI. Um, that power coming offline gives headroom between supply and demand, yeah. which is what ERCOT needs, desperately needs during those moments, mm -hmm. but has to plan accordingly way, way, way in advance. Somewhere in that scenario, the Bitcoin mining community is either A, going to say, I'm not more important than everybody else, so I will come offline yeah. to give headroom to ERCOT. I've been getting paid for this moment, so I know the big picture and I understand mm -hmm. that. And economically, if I do pause, even though Bitcoin is worth a whole lot more right now than it was, say, a year, month, or whatever ago, I can make up for that and 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 reproduce, right. you know, go after it again after I'm I'm returned online. Yeah. Yep. And there's a lot of industries that don't operate that way. Right. I mean, that's the lobbying group that needs to be out there trying to represent that there are certain verticals that you know we operate in that say, mm -hmm. you know, I know about this program that ERCOT's trying to drive here. And and what does that do, right? Well, finishing the, the point, if this was to happen, you know, we walk away from a lot of meetings and go, here's the big picture. And I go, no, we're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, are you more important than anybody else? You're going to be operating right. and running power to do whatever you do, even though the grid is at its peak limits of right. being able to sustain reliable delivery of power to everyone. Yeah. You're just saying you're more important than everybody else. Yeah. Well, that's fine. We know where we stand, right? Right. Right, but that's also how you end up. You just need a public shaming list, yeah. right? right. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> just like a Twitter bot that yeah. just constantly posts to the people who Look are at these <laughs> consuming yeah. the most power who are down the program. Yeah. Right, right. But yeah, that's. I mean, that's also how you bring regulatory scrutiny that you don't want. You know what I mean? Sure, and sure. So, yeah, I mean, I, that's why I, I don't like hearing people complain about miners reaping the benefit of these accelerators are being flexible. Right. And it's like, that is what we need. Yeah. That's a good thing. Like oil and gas companies have the same, any really in industrial size load has that opportunity. Don't they? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So on some level. Yeah. It's, at some level. And um, sure it's a lucrative thing, but like from the resiliency standpoint, it actually, it's, it's a good thing. Right? Yeah. And, and the bigger picture is, and you know, for example, the ERCOT equivalent in the mid-Atlantic region of the country mm -hmm. is called PJM. Yeah. Right. So it's like 13 states up there. Well, they're long-term ceiling to water mm -hmm. level kind of average they shoot mm -hmm. for is 25% of reserve margin. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a lot of infrastructure that has to be built out. Just sit there. That's just sitting there yeah. waiting to be used. ERCOT's target's been about 15% during COVID, maybe right before COVID, it got down to maybe seven and a half or 8%. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that means you drive efficiency, you drive right. innovation and you drive coordination between the user community and the generator community of how to make that work as effectively mm -hmm. as possible. Because that over whatever infrastructure you put in place, this is where it all comes to roost on your bill, right? Yeah. So you have a 30 year utility bill represents all that infrastructure that is in the investment taken to get it out there, mm -hmm. right? And so that 30-year bill is represented every month in your what's called TND charges, your transmission and distribution charges. Mm -hmm. Well, in the summertime, we have these programs called 4CP, four coincidental right. peaks. So each day of the months of June, July, August, September, 
there is a day where the highest demand 15-minute interval of power being used across the state, it obviously coincides with very extreme weather conditions, but it's the highest 15-minute moment that everyone is going at, is using power. And the premise is in this country, not like other countries, but in this country, if everyone flicks that light switch, they expect the light to come on. They don't expect it sometimes to come on. Yeah. They, they don't tolerate that. They, yeah. that. That light's going to come on. Well, the infrastructure has to be built for that premise. Mm. Well, that's the coincidental peaks in, the, in these four intervals in the summer. And so the gaming of the system is you're going to get charged for whatever power you're using during that 15-minute moment. Because that's the tie, highest level yeah. of use and demand that the, the, the infrastructure is being tasked right. at that time. If you're off and we dispatch on that, we communicate to our users, be prepared, it's coming, it's going to happen, mm-hmm. or it's not going to happen. If you're off, you've just impacted 30% of your utility bill uh, going starting next year. Right, right. Yeah, because so just to explain that for people that are listening that aren't aware, if you hit those targets and turn your power off, during those time frames, those four kind of target dates, coincidental peaks. I didn't know this was step for, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's like a reduction then next year on your bill going forward. So long as you participate in those as well, right? Yeah. So, so it, it's it, like a twelve month cycle. Yeah, it, yeah. Se- it settles after the four month summer, mm-hmm. ends in June, July, August, September. By November, you know how you how you did. Yeah. We monitor all that and have sensors that will make sure you know clients mm-hmm. know what 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 they did and how they did there. And then it, the soft currency, if mm-hmm. you will, around it is your credit start divided by the next 12 months in January. Okay. Yeah. So do you guys have a, are you guys handling like signals to um, miners or whoever to shut down? Or are you guys just kind of handling the basically maximizing the value of their, uh, you know, ancillary benefits for the load that they have. Yeah, we'll we'll integrate via an API Uh into the mining software so that we reproduce the elegant way Mm. they wanna shut down or start up their mine or miners when when it happens. Yeah, do you, is it like Foreman? Is it anything like that? So so Foreman, uh, I love Dan, we've worked with Dan (laughs) for a a lot of things. We've, We've had a lot of conversations around this because most all the other dr providers yeah. out there don't have a controls capability mm-hmm. and so it's very simple for them to call dan to say yeah. uh r- shut down or you know curtail your yeah. your your load on your miners and so he's got a number of services and one of them is what's called real-time price avoidance mm-hmm. and then we have a lot of services as a queasy uh, and one of ours is also our real-time price avoidance. Yeah. So, so you, you guys are a queasy? We are. Okay. Yeah, right. qualified scheduling yeah. entity. Right. Yeah, yeah. So we're registered with ERCOT, certified, mm-hmm. so that when we bring load in of a miner who's got 10 megawatts, ERCOT trusts that what we've done is vetted the, mm-hmm. the, the load, know they can perform. They'll still get tested, but we're, we're validated that we, we bring them in and ERCOT's good with, with us enrolling them, right? Okay. Um, so... So yeah, so we'll we'll we could we overlap in one particular service, but we work through that. So yeah, yeah, good. It's, it's not like it's a big conflict or anything. Yeah, good. I like Dan and them. So yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, okay. But yeah, so if if Foreman's not involved, then you know we have an API that will mm-hmm. interface with whatever mining s- system they have to elegantly address how and what protocols they want to initiate a shutdown. 
or a startup mm-hmm. and to do it fully remotely as well. Yeah. Um, and just and cause cause like I said, in, in all the verticals we operate in, if you're shutting something down in the oil and gas space, for example, um, you've got to make sure it meets safety protocols. If it's in a sure. manufacturing plant, it's got to be, you know, what work and process material do I not want to lose? How do I shut that down and phasing out those power reductions all to capture without a lot of pain and agony, mm-hmm. something that's very beneficial overall to the grid. Nice. I, tell, I forgot to touch on something you asked, I think, earlier, and that was the oil and gas side of things, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the ramifications to URI was that the Railroad Commission jumped in and says, okay, we, we created this vortex where supposedly, and I, there's a lot of argument about whether or not this was the case, but we, we kind of created this vortex where companies that were producing natural gas and contributing gas to the supply chain uh, were being shut down by demand response, thus cutting off gas, going mm-hmm. to generate electric generation plants right. to produce electricity to keep us from that, that scenario, right? So the Railroad Commission came back and said, okay, we're gonna designate through some kind of a map that we have around, the, around Texas and anyone who's contributing natural gas to the supply chain that you're deemed critical and you mm-hmm. cannot participate in demand response anymore. So midstream, upstream, downstream natural gas, those players involved are critical infrastructure. And so they can't, they had to step out of demand response. Oh, wow. Man, that's kind of interesting because last year there was a bill where, and I I don't want to say it was a lot of oil and gas companies kind of behind the sponsoring of it or pushing for it, where they basically were trying to eliminate a lot of the miners from participation in some of the ancillary programs. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of, Mm. Interesting. So yes, yeah, so you have ERCOT as one group, and yeah. then the railroad commission is another. Right, and they they don't have they've they've gotten better at coordinating, yeah. but but back then after URI they really weren't. Mm. And so the overshot was that it, it, no matter how much gas you were producing as even a byproduct of your oil operation, for example, mm. if it met certain thresholds, you were considered critical, which means you mm. couldn't participate in demand response. Well. The other vortex that's created from that is that you could have an oil and gas, you know, uh, producer. Ninety percent of what they do is oil. Ten percent is gas. We have another URI come along, and they're deemed critical, so they get to operate pre- contributing ten percent gas, but running ninety percent oil using mm-hmm. say ninety nine megawatts of power. So they're actually creating a worse scenario on the grid because yeah. they've been deemed critical with all the oil they're producing because of the power that's used for that. Oh, man. So my, my side note on that is you can get an exception with the Railroad Commission of being critical when you show that your oil production is a lot higher than your gas production so that you've got the reasonable opportunity mm-hmm. to participate in, in those programs with ERCOT. Man. They try to do the right thing. Yeah, they, they're, they're trying, trying to do, do the, the right thing, thing and it ends up screwing things up sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> it's like, that never, I mean, that rarely ever happens with politicians getting involved in things, so it surprises me, but <laughs> right. I'm, I'm joking, clearly. Uh, politicians are lawyers. Yeah, dude, lawyers, oh my gosh. The worst. Yeah, they're the worst. So <laughs> mean. But, uh, man, like, that that was really informative for me. I think you just say, I mean, you educated the show to me. Yeah. And everybody else probably learned something as well. And, and honestly, it's one of the areas that I think most miners, um, well, outside of the big guys that, you know, basically hire people to r- come in and run, kind of run that division or, or handle that for them. Uh, that's probably the area of the biggest, most questions that I get anyway from 
from clients of mine and people reaching out is like they want to know how much they can make and then what it looks like what is required and and also the there's always concern that like oh, we're gonna go put up some operation over here and everything's gonna get diluted we're not gonna have opportunity to to actually realize revenues like we're planning or forecasting for but um yeah look that was that was really helpful education. absolutely man educational uh, this has been great yeah Awesome. Yeah, Thank you. Dropping knowledge bombs. Are you Get coming to clips. empower? Yes. Okay, good. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. We need you there. Awesome. Yeah, we do. We need a lot of people. March 26th, 27th here in Houston. We'll see all you guys there. Yeah. Terrific. Well, thank you, man. Thank you, Joe. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Man. Enjoy the Love visit. Love having you back sometime, man. Absolutely. This has been awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Take two seconds. Share this with all your friends, all your colleagues. Tweet this out. Post it on LinkedIn. We'll catch you guys in the next episode.